We've come to the end of uh, John chapter 6, and this is the fourth sermon on this one chapter. Um, as we get started, I want to take a step back and, and realize this is part of a series that John, the spiritual gospel, the theological gospel gives us in chapters 5 through 12. And in this 5 through 12, he's really emphasizing and lifting up that Jesus is fully God. As we say in our creed, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. He does this through a series of miracles and teachings and healings and interactions with various people. Uh, and he often uses the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the sh good shepherd. Before Abraham was, I am, which really lit them up. <laughs> so, and many, many more times during this, this, this phase here in terms of, but this chapter six um, begins with this great miracle of um, feeding the 5,000 plus. So whenever Jesus used that phrase, I am, he elicited a reaction. It was either positive or negatively that people would react because he was equating himself with his heavenly father. I am are the words that God used with Moses when he sent him to free the slaves from Egypt. And Moses asked him, whom shall I say sent us? It sent me. And he said, I am who I am. And God said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. So Jesus uses these terms, I am, that, that gets people's attention in that process. But this is the whole theme of this entire section of John. So chapter 6 begins with Jesus miraculously feeding 5,000 men and their families with two fish and five loaves. Uh, that evening, Jesus goes out, walks on the water, uh, more evidence of his divinity, and then he begins teaching about being the true bread of heaven. So just before today's passage, the day before, Jesus says, truly I say to you, just before today's passage, I'm sorry, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh, flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in me. Now that sounds pretty hard and confusing, but Jesus explains himself in a few sentences farther. He said, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread, on, on Jesus, will live forever. And he's describing himself as a spiritual manna from heaven. So just the day before, Jesus had 5,000 plus excited followers who loved the free lunch, the quick healings, the great sermons. And, and then that day, he was ending with just a few beaten and battered apostles who were in spiritual vertigo. In verse 14, if we went back in the chapter, the crowd claims, this is the prophet. And less than fewer than 50 verses later, even the disciples are leaving grumbling. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? When we're confronted with the difficult things in life, in scripture, there's, there's a tendency to do one of three things. We sanitize our faith by erasing all those parts of it and glossing over them that are tough and hard to understand. And then we just dwell on the inspirational passages. Or we distort the truth 
by removing or redefining scripture that doesn't align with our personal biases? Or we abandon a biblical belief altogether and elevate our own authority above God's, whether we realize that's what we're doing or not. So we sanitize, distort, abandon. These are three very unfortunate responses when life and faith seem to be at odds with each other. For you young people taking notes, our, our fourth and fifth graders, so glad you're here. On um, these three words, sanitize, distort, and abandon, write don't before them. So you know right on. These are not the right answers. And I'm going to go ahead and jump it forward a little bit and give you the, the correct answers. Remember, God has described you as being held in the palm of his hand um, through the prophet Isaiah who tells us that. And God is always there with you, come whatever may, the good and the bad in life, even the boring and, or the exciting, that God is with you. And here's the main thing that strengthened, that we need to remember, to strengthen us as we face these hard times. God has given you your families and the church and, and, and to help you learn and engage with biblical truth. And even the parts that make us struggle even the tough parts in life, and to embrace a living faith with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In our scripture today, Jesus is teaching some really difficult concepts. Eat my body, drink my blood, I'm the bread of life. We understand those words because we use them and celebrate every week at the table. The, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and for the salvation of the world. He was speaking in spiritual terms that were hard to understand by some people, but instead of staying around and learning and understanding what the problem was and the deeper meaning, people were confused and in their anger, they just left him. In verse 60, it says, this is a hard saying. It is. It's a hard saying. Who can possibly listen to it? So the first temptation we have is to sanitize our faith by ignoring those scriptures that cause us pause. Anything that makes us feel anxious or uncomfortable. My tendency, and maybe yours, is to, to skip over those troubling parts in the Bible. And we might think that this is a good strategy. Problem is, you really cannot understand, you cannot ignore the troubling parts of the Bible without undermining the inspirational parts. You can't have a day without night. You can't just ignore these things and pretend that everything's okay, that we live in this sanitized world. And, and a sanitized belief system removes the possibility of getting any real answers by ignoring the real questions as though they don't exist. It's, it's nice to imagine a world without evil, but there is evil in the world within us and around us, and we cannot just wish it away. We cannot sanitize our faith and have a, an authentic faith. Verse 52, a little before our scripture today, says some people disputed among themselves, saying, this man, how can this man give us flesh to eat? This shows the second response to me. This is distorting the truth, and usually it's for selfish purposes. Throughout history, there have been large and, and sometimes dangerous movements that, that distort key scripture that conflicts with their own biases, their prejudice, and their perspective, and justify horrific things. 
We must be careful not to distort scripture, including what occurs here, ignoring the overall meta-narrative of God's plan for the redemption of the world. Jesus was speaking of a spiritual reality of being one with the Father and the true Messiah. Some may have been offended by the imagery that Jesus presented, but I suspect that their sarcasm was not about Jesus violating their understanding of decency. Jesus made it clear he was speaking of a higher reality. They heard Jesus teach probably numerous times. They were in Capernaum, which was the headquarters of Jesus' ministry. Peter's mother's house was right there and across from the synagogue. So accepting Jesus as the bread of heaven, what he was saying, that I am the true manna, the true bread of heaven, meant accepting Jesus for who he is. And what he said, accepting that he was the chosen one, he is the chosen one, he is the Messiah. Now, remember, Jesus had just returned from all these bordering countries, their, their enemies, the, these foreign people groups. And he had done the miracles there, walked on water, came back to Capernaum. Um, he healed, he preached, he fed thousands of non-Jews. So for them to accept Jesus as a true man from heaven meant they had to change to reject their old prejudices and learn to love their enemies. I believe they just found an off-ramp from this religious holy man by latching on to his concrete interpretation of the world. Oh, you want us to eat your flesh? They distorted the, the biblical truth so that they could stay aloof from the demand of following Jesus, which means we have to learn to love God and love our neighbor. Verse 66, after this, many turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. This teaching was so hard that even many and maybe all of, of sort of the periphery disciples left him. When there's too much that unsettles us, the response is sometimes just to abandon it all, to abandon biblical belief altogether. Don't, don't do this. Okay? You think life's tough facing problems with God? Okay. You think you, you can imagine, and for some of us remember, what it is that to face life's problems with no hope, with a sense of isolation and aloneness, the despair of believing there's no purpose in life. You know, it was tough growing up in the 1960s and 70s. We had segregation and assassinations and nuclear threat and pollution, the Vietnam War, drugs were just sweeping through the schools when I was an eighth grader over here at Westwood uh, Junior High at that point. Famine, genocide, natural disaster, pollution. These were just part of our growing up. And I've been exposed to the Christian faith as a young person, but I felt the church offered little but hypocrisy. Many felt like this would be the extinction of the Christian faith in our country the last part of the 20th century. Do we hold on to our doubts as an excuse for not believing? Or do we engage with our doubts as an essential part of believing? Let me repeat that. Do we hold on to our doubts as an excuse for not believing, for not having faith? Or do we engage with our doubts as an essential part of believing, of being people of faith? The 20th century was overwhelming. 
Yet here we are, many boomers in this generation found Christ, were found by Christ, and, and, and are striving to pass it on to the next generations. The Christian faith wasn't extinguished out. God is powerful. He's more powerful than a pandemic and more powerful than and just all the crazy cultural revolution that we went through in the last part of the 20th century. Well, congratulations, 21st century is right on track for crisis after crisis after crisis, and we're all really tired of it. But don't sanitize, don't abandon, and, and don't distort. The church must not change its message. This is the message that the world needs. This is the hope that only Jesus can bring, the truth, the way, the life. It just needs to adjust to the context, as it always has. If it's a deaf world context, we have to adjust to fit the, the, the nuances and the reality of deaf culture. If it's a, a public school context, we have to adjust to the, the limitations and the, the things that can be done and, and, and how we can reach it. But the message return, re, continues eternally. We're saying the same thing that the apostles, that Jesus said to them and the apostles said to their students and it's been passed down to us. Our responsibility is, is to understand it and contextualize it. We don't have permission to change it and to make up things or to sanitize or distort. We have been given this wonderful gift to pass on to the next generations. Just as Jesus and early church did modeling for us, these Christian communities sharing lives of hope, encouragement, biblical faith, something you can depend on, we have this unchanging eternal truth that has to be discovered anew by each generation. No tricks, no gimmicks, just ordinary people like you and me living out grace and truth of Jesus Christ in our daily lives. Verse 67 and 68, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? That, just pause for a moment and let those words resonate in your soul. It, it really, I get chills every time I've, I've said this and, and worked on this. It's like, where would we go? It just kind of takes your breath away. Like some of you, I've tried. I've tried to find truth in other places and pathways of hope, some enlightenment, some, some sense of peace and calm in, in this chaotic, crazy world. But from my experience... And the experience of many, there is nowhere else to go. He is the chosen one. There's no other truth that fills that empty spot in our souls. St. Augustine observed, you have made us for yourself, Lord. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. Yes, life is difficult. Yes, there's much I don't understand about the scripture. But as Peter said and commented, to whom shall we go? And then Peter answered his own question. Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is, this is as close as it gets 
to describe what a faith journey looks like. We've heard, we've read. He describes our experiences. We've, we've believed what we've seen, what we've experienced, you know, what we've learned. We know who you are. You know us, we know you, and you are the bread of heaven. You are the Holy One of God. So as followers of Jesus, our task is to open ourselves up to engage biblical truth and embrace a living faith. Engage with biblical truth. Not just memorize it and parrot it, but to engage with it in a way that becomes transformational into who we are as followers of Jesus. And therefore, it leads us to embrace this living faith. And I invite you to take a deeper walk into the spiritual formation. We all, we all need to. It's just been pretty tough. But we've got to be willing to take that next step, not just try to go back to something that never will be, to go forward to what God is calling us to do, to wrestle with these difficult questions about our faith. In our tradition, it's called catechism, which is the historic foundational beliefs of the Christian faith. And it's expressed through a study. St. Augustine did these three things, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, and the Ten Commandments, to where we take a really deep dive into that. And we're beginning this in, in an annual cycle so that people coming in who are new to the faith, new to the church, people who've been here the whole time, I really encourage you, this is for everybody, that we go in to find out what's it mean to, to abide in Christ in the Lord's Prayer, to belong. What does it mean to really believe the Apostles' Creed and the other creeds? What does it mean to really become what God is doing in me through the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount, which is, is an expression of those Ten Commandments? So the Anglican Church of North America um, produced a book. This is it, To Be a Christian. Not that long, but it is a fabulous book that asks all the right questions and, and give the right answers and allows us the opportunity to really think through that and understand it. Um, it's as we engage with each other and with the scripture, it's transformative in the Christian life. Theologian Calvin Rowe of Duke Divinity School, there's probably some people that know him, reminds us that human life is just too hard to have a boring Christianity. Unsettling, yes. Challenging, yes. Even confusing at times, absolutely. But it sure isn't boring when we take those deep dives. So how do we keep a balance in a world that feels so unstable? In closing, I'm going to tell you a quick true story um, of an experience that I hope provides a helpful analogy. So I'll walk through this with you. It involves a longshore current, which is the current that runs down the shore that pulls you down to meet new neighbors. Um, it, it, some, a sandbar and... Uh, some people that were sitting on the shoreline in beach chairs. So recently, Kathy and I were swimming at the beach, and the current I was standing in was really strong that day. It's just a couple of week ago or so, and it was in a, it was pulling. And I thought, you know, I wonder if the current is really below the surface, and if I get up on the surface, and and the current will go underneath me, and I'll be able to sort of paddle and and stay in the same place or not. And I thought, well, that's, this, we'll do a little experiment. So I got up and I'm floating on my back and I, you know, grew up in Florida, learned to swim at the beach. And so I thought, okay, this is going to work. And so I'm kind of doing this and, 
And then I look at the shore and I realize, my word, where am I? I've just gone way down there. So, you know, here's Kathy seeing her husband just float off into the, the sunset. Um, and I said, well, that didn't work. So I came out, I came back up the beach and went back in where we were in that area. But this time I stayed upright. So in this, this um, story, the pull of the current represents the pull of the world away from walking with Jesus. The pull of the world on us, that's pulling us away. And so I'm up on top thinking I'm kind of above it and I'm sort of doing, you know, the good thing. And I wind up way down the beach because that's how strong the current is. So as I, I, I stood upright and I kind of dug my feet into the sand and I'm paddling kind of hard and like, okay, well, that, that's kind of working. I mean, it's tough, but it worked fairly well. And in this analogy, the sandbar represents my faith, the scripture and my experience with Christian community, all these things that I could sort of hold on to while the current's trying to pull me away. And I did a pretty good job of it, but I definitely needed more. I needed something to help me know when I was really losing ground. And I noticed that the small group of people sitting in chairs on the beach were right in front of me. They were probably laughing at me. You know. um, but I locked my eyes on them and, and they became my point of reference. And I could tell as I started sliding away by keeping my eyes on that point of reference. It gave me some tangible to fix my eyes on in my efforts to stay put. And it was, it was working. In this analogy, those people represent our cloud of witness, the, ch the church, the body of Christ. I've got this grounding, I've got this pull, and that this is where I keep my eyes because that's what gives me a point of reference. We all need these friendships. We all need this encouragement, role models, sound biblical teaching, and reminders that we are not tossing out alone in an ocean without hope. We have others who help become our point of reference. We face dangerous currents and powerful undertoes in this world which can cause spiritual disequilibrium. But a community of faith helps us stay grounded and to keep our eyes on Jesus. Now, it's a simple analogy, but I hope it makes an important point. When we're confronted with the difficult parts of life and faith, don't let the rip current of confusion pull you out into a sea of despair. Let me encourage you to avoid the temptation to sanitize your faith, distort the truth, abandon biblical belief. Jesus has shown us a better way. As we learn to engage in biblical truth, even the hard parts, even the parts we doubt, God invites us to embrace a living faith together. And that makes all the difference. So we do that in some really practical ways at Servants of Christ. We have our children's program, which includes Club 345, the youth ministry, the worship team, the women's Bible study, just older youngsters, the community groups, covenant groups, serving Littlewood next door, and, and serving with collaborative partners throughout our community. And now we're adding a, a foundational catechesis cycle designed to meet the needs of our entire church family as part of our Christian formation. We gather together, whether it's in a 
home, community group, online, in, in this room, in a, any room, that when we gather together, what we're doing is we're creating space for the Holy Spirit to work. We're just creating space. And we depend on the Holy Spirit to work. We gather to support each other, to become a, pro, a point of reference for each other as we face some strong and dangerous currents in life. For us as individuals, for us as a church, for our community, for all the world. Following Jesus is a story of hope. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have life everlasting. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved. When asked by Jesus if they were going to stay or go, Peter replied on our behalf, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Glory to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.